It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Game Podcast from The Times, Qatar 2022. Today, the lineup for the World Cup final is complete. After a lackluster France, come past a heroic Moroccan effort two goals to nil. We'll discuss the French tactical deficiencies as they go head-to-head with Lionel Messi and co at the weekend and talk about the meaning that Morocco's performance, a first African team in the semi-finals of the World Cup, will have on the game as a whole. This is the game. Hello again and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft, fresh from the TalkSport fan zone, where I've watched Morocco take on France in a thrilling World Cup semi-final. We are dotted around the place this evening for you. Um, And unfortunately for Morocco, it wasn't the result that they wanted. France are through to -to back-to-back World Cup finals. But it was, I think we will all agree, an absolutely thrilling match. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Tom Allner and Gregor Robertson to review the second semi-final at the World Cup out in Qatar, which gave us so much drama. Maybe not the shock that the rest of the tournament has kind of led by, but it was still a fantastic performance from Morocco. Not quite so from France, but it is they who reached the final and will take on Argentina. We will look ahead to that a little bit later on as well. Before we give you our thoughts on that match, we sent our very own Alison Rudd out and about in London to a restaurant full of Moroccan fans to sample, if you like, the evening that was a first African team in the semi-final of a World Cup. Of course, they didn't get the result that they wanted. We haven't heard it yet, but this is Alison's full-time thoughts. Hi, this is Alison. I'm just leaving a very fine Moroccan restaurant. Lots of people had the same idea as me. It was absolutely round and you had to spend guaranteed spend 50 quid to be allowed in loads of security very different atmosphere to watching it in a well for I don't know an English pub with an England match on the 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 tension sort of grew incrementally and there was a lady crying in the toilets at the end but there was no anger They, they they were very proud of the team and lots of polite applause when someone made a good tackle, lots of hysteria when they came close so many times, but absolutely, you know, no throwing tantrums. It was very noisy. I might be deaf in my right ear because the lady next to me had a big steel plate she rattled on a lot. But uh, yeah, you know, streets are not full of horns and flags and traffic and 
people marching in joy. There were lots of police, just in case that did happen. But um, no, it's very quiet and anticlimactic, but I'm glad I did it. Right, so that was Alison Rudd with maybe a not-so-thrilling night. Uh, not Certainly not the night she was hoping for, I imagine, when she went to see Morocco take on France, and particularly all those fans of the Atlas Lions were hoping for as well. Gregor Robertson, I'll start with you. It's hard to, to address you with a particular question or angle here because I think we saw a Moroccan side that went at it with everything that they had through the kitchen sink at it. Uh, injured players, one lost in the warm-up, their captain lost, uh, what, 20 minutes in, Roman Saiz. It was just, it wasn't to be for them on the evening, but they can be incredibly proud. Absolutely. I mean, I come away from watching that game feeling a little bit sad because they've been the story of the tournament. I mean, I know Lionel Messi's, the way he's hauling Argentina to potential World Club glory, glory could be, could well be the story of the tournament. I would say Morocco have been the team of the tournament with the emphasis on the word team because they are a remarkable team. And as you said, you know, losing a player in the warm-up, losing their other first-choice centre-half shortly after the game had begun, it kind of, that was almost a benefit in the end, the, sizes, the fact that size had to come off because they went back to their the shape that they're used to playing as opposed to the, the kind of five-man defence that they started with, which felt like a kind of a, an attempt to, as a sticking plaster almost over the fact that they were missing... You know, they were, they were basically carrying the walking wounded. But once that change was made, they were instantly kind of more recognisable and actually more, I mean, obviously they'd gone a goal behind and they had to do something. So we saw, we almost saw another side to this team. We saw all the sort of incisive, dynamic, counter-attacking play that we've, we've grown used to in the tournament. But we saw it like on a far more consistent sort of basis for the, for the remainder of the first half. And my only thing is that, I'd, look, it's very hard to even think about criticising Willie Draguagi, but I just wonder whether they could have shown the faith in the players who came on, who'd, who'd done such a good job for them against Portugal. I'm talking about Amala, who came on, Atia Ala, the left back, who came on at half time. I don't know whether he could have just shown a bit more faith in them. And, you know, what they'd, what they'd done in the last game was remarkable. And, and I think they improved the team when they came on. So that's my only one sort of little faint criticism. But. They were outstanding and, and you know, El Yamek hit the post with a an overhead kick just before half time. After the break there were some some brilliant combinations down the right hand side with Hakimi and Ziech and Unahi was who was incredible again. And they just couldn't you know, they got in so many great positions, they just couldn't find a way to get the ball into the back of the net and you know, it wasn't to be ultimately, but what an effort and what a story they've been. Tom, they have to be the team of the tournament, don't they? But we can't criticise them at all, really, in terms of what they showed tonight. I think they put their best foot forward. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with, with Gregor. I mean, I, I think in a way, probably this tournament will be defined by who wins, obviously, the final, because then it'll be either Mbappe's tournament or, or Messi's, I guess. And that will be the the kind of main narrative and, and the enduring legacy. But I always think with, with World Cups, you sort of... It's not just about the kind of the, the headline act. It's there's always the kind of the colour and the, the the support acts behind it. And when you look back on on tournaments, you sort of remember some of the the teams and the players that that maybe didn't get to the final or win the tournament, but ultimately those kind of underdog stories are actually kind of what made the made the tournament special. That those are the stories that kind of um, separate the tournaments from each other. I mean, I guess you know, in the absence of a kind of a a compelling host team at this at this tournament. It almost feels like Morocco kind of taken on that role in in a, in a similar kind of way to 
how South Korea in, in 2002, even Russia in, in 2018, I guess, you know, a sort of an underdog host going much further with the, with the support of a fervent fan base um, on the back of three or four really impressive performances from from three or four players. You know, all of the, all of the ingredients have, have been there. And I think, you know, it's just been a, an incredible story. And I think in this match, ultimately, you know, you could probably say that aside from the first 10 minutes and perhaps the last 10 minutes, they were the the dominant front foot team, you know, the, the, the team who were the more assertive, um, had, you know, the lion's share of the better chances. But ultimately, you know, France's quality, France's composure, I think in both boxes just won the day. But I think there's no doubt that, you know, when we look back on this, on this World Cup in, in years to come, Morocco will be absolutely... Um, one of the one of the foremost things in our minds, and um, and I think that's that's just just been a great story, um, particularly when you think about you know some of the the political and and social angles as well behind it. Um, we know obviously that it's a, a huge a huge achievement for, for for sort of African football, but you know fourteen of the Moroccan players grew up in Europe but still chose to play for Morocco. Hakimi, for example played in Spain and, and has said that, you know, one of his motivations to, to play for Morocco was was the kind of bigotry that he faced whilst he was in Spain. And I think, you know, that's just a huge, a huge sense of pride, you know, for, for obviously the Moroccan fans of how they how they play, but it's not a sort of a patronising, oh, look how well they've done, you know, thanks for coming kind of thing. I think, you know, they ran, they ran France right to the end here, you know, and there's an argument to say they were, they made France feel just as, if not even more uncomfortable than England in the, in, in the quarterfinals. So, um, so absolutely, you know, I think they've they've been a fantastic part of this tournament, no doubt. It's strange for us to start by reflecting on the team that has lost the match by two goals to nil. But I do think what Morocco did in this tournament was so magnificent and of such, I think, such gravitas, if you like, in terms of world football and world football history. I do think it was worth reflecting on them first. Plus, there will be plenty of discussion about France in the podcast we've got coming forward before that that final what they've done is remarkable, Gregor. Um, and I just wondered whether, or, or rather what context their performance at this World Cup goes into. Is it that they have shown underdog nations, if you like, from throughout the world, whether that be Asia or Australasia, if you like, or uh, North America? What can be done with a team, like you mentioned, uh, that togetherness, that that spirit, that incredible tenacity and work rate and the great plan given by their coach? Is it a message really to to every underdog about what can can be achieved at the World Cup? Is it something more specific about maybe what African teams or Arabic football um, should should be able to present to a World Cup? Did we get a lesson about the fact that an Arabic team has gone far at a World Cup because it's in a, an Arabic nation? Maybe that's the the great context that their performance at this World Cup sits within, or is it just purely about Morocco itself? Is this their moment? Has this World Cup been? about them and Moroccan football. I wonder how big or small what they've done, their run to the semi-final can be seen as. Crikey, that's a, that's a broad old question. And it may take a bit of time to reflect on that properly. I mean, I think the, the point that Tom made is quite, it's quite important in that, you know, I think it was 50, 54% of their, their squad were born in other countries, but you could undoubtedly see the sort of the fact that yeah, they chose to play for Morocco, but their their investment and pride in playing for their nation was like abundantly clear, and this was like such a united group. But there are also things, you know, behind behind the scenes of you know they've had a uh, an academy, Mam the Six Youth Academy that that has produced several of the players, including Unai. So there's been work behind the scenes too that kind of 
always there's also, which is always the case that is has gone into producing some of these players as well. And on the in the kind of broader scale, I personally think it's mainly about Morocco. I mean, what they've done in terms of representing African and Arabic nations is it would have been more kind of pronounced if they'd gone to if they'd gone to the final. I think what they've done is has been is something that's been remarkable for Morocco first and foremost for what what they are kind of a modern idea of the kind of diaspora of Moroccan people that still feel the real pride of playing for their nation, what that kind of means. I think that's biggest for Morocco personally. But I, who knows, this, this might take a little little bit of time to for the dust to settle and for, and for there to be a bit of reflection on that. And that, that there's some big questions. But what they've done, first and foremost, is given us some great entertainment. And we've all felt quite invested in in the story of Morocco at this World Cup. I think it would, it would take time for us to to know because I think always in these kind of cases when you have a, a almost like a breakout performance from a from a team or I mean you know if, if, you, if you take this example to some other sports you know from a, from a, a player kind of doing something for a country that hasn't been done before it, obviously the the sort of the the consequences of that you have to wait to kind of see what happens but I do think you know there are there are previous examples of this that kind of demonstrate that that these successes do have lasting consequences you know I think they sort of feed and drip feed into into the generations that come. I mean, you know, we, you look even at sort of the Croatia team that have done so well in the last few years. You know, they still talk about the sort of 90, 1998 crop and and talk about how that was a an inspiring team for them that kind of showed that Croatia could could do it on the on the world stage, um, even despite the kind of political black backdrop and challenges that obviously Croatia had to face. You know, you look look at people like Son Heung-min have talked about the kind of two thousand two South Korea team. You know, I mean, I think in terms of players, these moments and these runs definitely um, feed through and and have a huge effect on on youngsters and on the system. But I also think, you know, more slightly more institutionally, I think it draws attention to to Moroccan players. It, it, whether it should or not, it gives almost a kind of a a legitimacy to to Moroccan football that perhaps there wasn't before, and that has an effect. It means that. You know, big clubs start scouting um, in in Morocco. They start looking at in Moroccan players in a different way. It means that maybe the bigger clubs in Europe suddenly buy some of these players, and then you have more of a template. And some of these players suddenly are playing, you know, bigger clubs in, at the kind of higher level of the game. And then in the next tournament, you know, suddenly you've got a more experienced team, a more a team that's got uh, more stars playing at the kind of highest level. And that feeds through. It feeds through into the next into into the players that are then coming through after them. So. You know, I think you know we don't want to exaggerate. We don't want to kind of say this is a, you know, going to going to be the norm for for Morocco for for tournaments to come. But I would like to think that it it, it will have an effect, and that you know we might look back in twenty years' time like we do now on the kind of Croatian team in nineteen ninety eight, for example, or even the French team in nineteen ninety eight, and think, okay, that was a that was at least a you know the door slightly opening, and um, you know that it, it was a, a moment that that did sort of at least start um, a longer period of success. I think of all of the um, sort of inflated claims that we were told by FIFA about why Qatar needed to host a World Cup. Morocco have maybe shown that one of those inflated claims around needing to grow the game of football in particular regions maybe has come true. And I'm not saying that football will grow in Morocco because of this, although I hope it does and it will clearly be a huge shot in the arm for, for Moroccan football and inspiring future generations. But I do believe that in terms of the question that I asked, 
Arabic football fans could maybe gravitate towards this World Cup more than any other because it maybe was the first World Cup that was on their side. Um, the, the stadiums were more predominantly full of people from that region. They were able to support their teams freely. Um, there was no question of the atmosphere being dented by hooliganism from Europe, for example, and the other negative attributes that we talk about usually at a World Cup and police violence and all of that stuff. Um, and maybe that came across to the players. And more, I say a more free environment. By that, I mean, you know, for them, you know, it's clearly a more free environment. There isn't pints being thrown into the air when goals go in at, at this World Cup in Qatar. Um, so for them, it has been a more welcoming experience, I, I imagine, um, certainly the people that I met in Qatar were incredibly, you know, it's not just Moroccan fans, but Tunisian fans, for example, Saudi Arabian supporters felt clearly much more welcome at, at this World Cup. But maybe out of all of the inflated claims, the claim that it would enhance football in that region, maybe this is it. Maybe this is this Morocco team has shown us that actually had the World Cup been here sooner, um, we might have had an, an Arabic nation who had gone far in the World Cup. We might have seen these great scenes that we've seen with the Morocco fans much more often. My immediate feeling is that is the bigger lesson. Obviously, we know the subplot as to why the World Cup is in Qatar and many of us feel it shouldn't be there. And I still feel that way. I still feel that way because of the, the level of alleged corruption that went into it. But, but actually, I think had another region, you know, in this part of the world, had they held the World Cup, we might have seen something similar. And that may well be the case again in the future. So I think that is a, you know, in a World Cup that has been laden with negatives because of where it's being held, maybe Morocco's run to the semi-final is one of the big positives about it being held in Qatar. And that's my immediate takeaway. The other elements of the question that I um, that I asked, yeah, I, th I agree with you both. I think we'll take more time to reflect on. Um, and maybe we'll do that as we um, as we get to the end of the tournament. we go into the game which France were outplayed for as Tom referred to for, for much of that game Morocco gave it absolutely everything they threw the kitchen sink at France and uh, Gregor if you can dissect it tactically I think that would be intriguing because um, you know styles make fights if you like maybe the first goal is the reason that we saw this level of performance from Morocco because they had to go for it but they, they did go for it they didn't wait to try and steal a goal at the end of the game very unlucky not to get a goal in, in the match. And then, of course, caught late on. Uh, Ateo Hernandez, early goal. And uh, Randall Colo Mouani with a late goal in the last 10 minutes or so, ended up giving France the 2-0 victory. But um, what did you make of the performance of Morocco to begin with? And how did they manage to, to hurt France, if you like? They didn't get the goal. But that long period of, of if you like, dominance... Um, will be will be interesting to see if we get a replication of that the weekend. They didn't start very well. Let's let's be honest about that. <laughs> they they didn't look comfortable in the formation. Size didn't look fit, and when the goal came, it was a it was a mistake really. I think from El Yamek, kind of over eagerness to to try and nip it in front of Griezmann, and then a bit of you know misfortune in the fact that there was a deflection, and uh, you have to say it was a great finish by uh, Teo Hernandez. But as I said, said before, the, the the withdrawal of size and a you know a reversion to what they knew best was the was the chain the you know the turning point. The, I thought that the the combinations down the right were one of the most like the, one of the most effective 
aspect to their play. The way that you know, even you would you saw particularly in the start of the second half, Buffal would even drift right across from left to right. The kind of it was it was highlighted before the game that that's a, that's an area of the pitch that France have been weakest in, and they really tried to exploit it, and they did a lot. And a lot of time, Hakimi was kind of doing underlaps, playing really neat, neat little one twos and triangles with Unai and Ziyech, but they just didn't have the they often didn't even really have enough bodies in the box when they did that. You have to say, again, Unahi was was incredible. He, something about kind of Riyad Mahrez about him and the way that he's, he seems so kind of, there's a bit of swagger. And he's often, he's, he's, he's magnificent at controlling the ball with the sole of his foot. <laughs> if you know what I mean, that's kind of a trademark of Riyad Mahrez. But he's a, bit, a little bit more dynamic and uh, he's, he looks like he's got a really huge future. And again, Amrabat was just remarkable. That tackle on Mbappe in the first half, he just covers so much ground. But again, I've said it before, he's so brave. He he plays forward, he breaks lines. He he, th- he sometimes looks like he's risking possession to such an extent where he's he's pausing and pausing on the ball. He's going to be tackled and then he it just opens up another yard of space for him to find a pass through the lines. And he's again, he's been magnificent too. So there's been so many stars. And look, you're right, they, they kind of dominated the play and France really were really kind of rocking in the second half. What we have to say, we have to give credit to Didier Deschamps for his change, removing Giroud and replacing him with Turam, which did two things. First of all, it, it allowed it kind of gave gave France a bit more defensive cover down that right hand side, Morocco's right hand side. He was tracking Hakimi. But also when they won the ball back, they just looked far more dynamic and that Mbappe was through the middle. They were always stretching Morocco's back line and it opened up a bit more space. And really from that from that moment it clipped Morocco's wings, that change. And when the second goal came it was again a combination of some really good play by France and a stroke of good fortune for France and a stroke of misfortune for Morocco. And from there, that was it. The game was over. But it was a, a valiant effort. And, you know, there was a couple of occasions where you just wondered how the ball didn't go over, go in, you know, go over the line. That one where I think it was uh, Hamdala kind of on his six yards out and the ball ricocheted off his leg and and uh, Kundi blocked it on the line. You're just thinking, oh, my God, and I can't, I don't know how this isn't going to, how this is, how the ball's not going over the, over the goal line here. So... It wasn't. It just wasn't to be. And part of that is to do with, as I said, just not having the kind of the focal point, the final bit of quality inside the penalty box. And part of it, we have to say, was a bit of misfortune on the night. But incredible effort. Tom, what did you make of of the performances of of both teams tonight? How good were, were Morocco? And unfortunate. That is a very loaded leading question. But let me know what you think. Um, and what did you make of France tonight as well? I guess the one asterisk I have with the Morocco performance, which I thought was we've already said was 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 really excellent, um, was just I guess you know the decision to play um, Saiz and to select Agard as well. You obviously pulled out before kickoff, is that right? And then you know taking off Saiz so early, it it seemed to me that maybe that that decision you know to to gamble on their fitness just. In hindsight, I guess it's easy to say, but it seemed to me to to, to not be a good one. If you, if you have a hamstring injury, I I, I don't think you know it's it's particularly uh, likely you're going to be able to play through that in a World Cup semi final, and and maybe that just contributed to that kind of chaotic start, you know, and and maybe it's uh, too neat to say, well, look, and they were one nil down after after four or five minutes, but it just felt like you know that 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 first goal that France scored, it came from quite a kind of chaotic. 
um, defending, which we haven't really seen from Morocco. And I just wonder if maybe they, you know, just that those two changes so so close to the kind of start of the game hurt them in a way that it maybe didn't need to. I mean, I would also say I, I think you know the two goals that France scored were, were really good um, demonstrations of why the best teams you know, make a difference in and around the box. You know, both, you know, those, those particularly the first goal, it really wasn't an easy finish at the back post. I think a lot of players would have found that a really difficult ball. It was much higher than, it, than, than you'd like to, to finish it. And Hernandez just took the extra, extra couple of seconds when he, when he realised he had the space and then, you know, very much sort of acrobatically, but also somehow quite kind of calmly uh, steered it in and then as well for the second goal you know Mbappe just taking that extra moment to kind of shift the ball into space to, to use quick feet to, to to make space for the shot you know I think lesser quality players in that position are just lashing it and hoping you know and and that is the difference in these games you know I think Morocco had a lot of openings you would say and, and they were sort of just hoping for the best and sometimes you know the margins fall for you and you get a little bit of luck that you need but ultimately there's a reason why why France are getting through these games. There's a reason why they are sometimes winning matches where you think, how did they win that? Why are they not doing more in this match when they've got so many good players? And the reason is because, you know, they have those players who, when it comes to the the, the small moments, the tight spaces, they can do what other players can't do. I mean, I almost think, you know, they, they almost remind me a little bit of kind of Real Madrid and the Champions League. There's, there's sort of a sense that they have that solidity, um, that belief, um, a little bit of arrogance, if you like, but also the humility, I think, is what I always think about Real Madrid in, in Europe, is that sometimes you know, they don't mind being behind in games. They don't mind uh, not being on top in a match. They don't always have to be the dominant side who are controlling a game and showing off how good they are. And France are a bit like that. They're, they're prepared to sort of dig in and say, OK, for 20, 30 minutes here, we're not the better team, even though it's Morocco. You know, we, we're, we're happy to... To, to dig deep and and come out of this with a with the result and I think you know they just have this ability to keep going and obviously it massively helps when you have Mbappe um, it massively helps when you have Griezmann playing in my opinion the form of his life um, I don't know whether it has anything to do with it that he's you know been coming off the bench for Atletico Madrid for most of this season and maybe he looks fresh uh, but he's such an intelligent player you know the ability to play in different positions give multiple roles almost in, in one um, I really think you know, aside from Messi and Mbappe, he has, he has been arguably the player of the tournament. And I also think Hugo Lloris has had a fantastic tournament. You know, and again today, he made some really important stops, some really good saves. Um, and I think those three players have been absolutely key for France. And I think they were obviously key again in this match. I've never felt as confident that Argentina are going to win the World Cup as I have tonight, to be perfectly honest, watching that game. Um because it was a second game in a row. It wasn't just tonight where France have not been at the level really required. They will have to take a huge step if they're going to beat Argentina. And that might be in Argentina in third gear. But, I mean, what gear were France in tonight? I mean, yeah, they fought defensively and they often do. And there's intelligence in the way that they, uh, as we've spoken about, I think, on the podcast, the way that they're almost able to absorb pressure from other teams. But ultimately, I think when you watch the last couple of games that France have had against England and now Morocco, the ability to keep Kylian Mbappe virtually quiet for the entire game, much more so than every other team that's played Argentina has been able to keep Lionel Messi uh, on the periphery. You, you kind of think, will France, will Teo Hernandez be able to keep Messi quiet and yeah, you start to think, will Kylian Mbappe really impact the game? And yeah, I know he had a hand in the 
in the second goal and a couple of shots blocked for the first goal as well. He was in the penalty area when he needed to be uh, as Griezmann, you know, slid the ball across. So, yeah, he's a pretty good player. We know that. But I think as we go into this final, if it's going to be Kylian Mbappe versus Lionel Messi, then currently there's only one winner. I would expect to see much more from him and much more from France as a team. You mentioned the word team earlier, Gregor, if they're going to win that game at the weekend. Now, they don't maybe need to play particularly well to win the game. Maybe Argentina don't need to play particularly well to win the game. But Mbappe was on the periphery for most of the game. You know, there were periods where I was actually shouting, get the ball under control before you worry about a trick or a flick. Just control it. And really, you shouldn't be screaming that out at one of the players that we would consider to be the best in the world, one of, if not the best in the world right now. So is it not working for him or is it just not working for France? I think part of it is to do with the, the two opponents he's faced and, and Kyle Walker and Hakimi. I mean, they're two of the quickest and best right backs in, in the world, really. And they've been given a task and it was to try and keep him quiet and for large large spells of both games, they they did so. But part of it also is to do with the fact that France have been under the under the cosh for a large period in these in in both of these games. And no matter what you say, they've 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 found their way. They've they've seen it out. Um, I thought Canati came in tonight and did really really well. And whatever you say about you know the, the players that they've had that they've that have been missing, the, the, particularly two midfielders and Pogba and Canati. Fafana and, and Chumani as well provide a kind of pretty resolute platform. Every, any time a ball was coming into the box, they were often the ones that were in there ready to sort of intercept it. Griezmann even now is putting in such a shift and that he's coming back and he was intercepting balls into the box. He was tracking uh, Atia Ala at one point in the second half tonight and kind of tackling him and then springing a counter-attack. They are all fully invested and putting in a real shift defensively. So that foundation is is there. And well it's true that they were rocked and, and both England and Morocco have, have troubled have really troubled them for big periods of the game. You know, it, it, Tom's right, there's something kind of there is a parallel. It's a good parallel with Real Madrid. They just find a way to to see it out. And it's like when it happens on a consistent basis, it, it, you have to start thinking it's not, you know, that's not a fluke, that's not luck. So, look, I still wouldn't be surprised if Mbappe comes up with some decisive moments in the final. And the truth is, he will be facing a much lower calibre of defender. So, I wouldn't write him off just yet. Tom, what do you think about it? Um, France just not really clicking in the way that we would expect them to be? Or is it really that we do need to give, give them credit for managing to win these games without showing us uh, maybe some artistic flair, if you like? Yeah, I mean, I think the Mbappe thing is interesting. I mean, I have to say, I I think he's had a had a, had a really excellent tournament. Um, I, I I understand what you're saying that in, in some of these games he's not um, perhaps as sort of relentless as perhaps we have expected sometimes of him. But I think also that's kind of part and parcel of of becoming a sort of of becoming a, a real sort of superstar player like he is now. I think when you be, when you get to that level, suddenly you find teams are basically making game plans around you you know you finding that they may be putting one man on you or at least two or three whenever you get the ball you're being shut down by four or five players this is what you know Messi has had to put up with now for for the best part of 10 years of his career and I think sometimes the result is you find that 
you know, you watch Messi sometimes. And, you know, I remember, you know, watching games, he played for Barcelona and, and, you know, he wouldn't always be very involved, but, and, and in a way that is, that speaks to the success of the, of the opposition, you know, they, their plans to defend against him because you know, the whole idea is to kind of shut them out. And that, that inevitably is, is successful to some extent, but then it comes down to those moments and, you know, a player like Mbappe and Messi is exactly the same. It only needs two or three times in a match for, for the space to be there or for them to do something special or to, to get half a yard of space. And those are the, the moments that define the match. And, and yes, Fine, Mbappe may not have scored, you know, seven or eight goals in this tournament, but I would, I would say that there have been so many goals that you could say happened because of him. That they happened either because of something he did, or, or even slightly more subtly, he happened because he drew, you know, two or three or four defenders to him, or, or simply that he kind of created this sense of of fear and, and panic in in the opposition defence that then led to the goal. I mean, that is what happened um, in the second goal tonight. You know that. It, ultimately, it was people scrambling to kind of get get in front of him, which then allowed the shot to ricochet into into Moani's feet. You know, I mean, even the even the first goal I think came from people sort of trying to be drawn across to stop Mbappe's finish, and then and then Hernandez was left free at the back post. Remember, the you know the Chouameni strike against England came because England thought they'd done the job by by shutting down Mbappe on the counter attack, and then lo and behold, you know they took a breath. Uh, when the ball popped out to Chouameni and, and the ball was in, in, in the bottom corner, you know, so there are a lot of these goals that maybe Mbappe isn't scoring himself, but so many of them come because teams are making game plans to stop him. And as a result, there's more space for others. So I think he's had a had a really good tournament. I personally think it's going to be a really tight, incredibly compelling final. Obviously, there's the huge tidal wave of narrative around Messi, but I also sometimes think that in these you know, nip and tuck games, it comes down to almost the team that needs it less. You know, I, I, I wonder if the pressure on Argentina, the kind of the desire and the the immeasurable amount of uh, need to win this tournament for the country, for Messi, for everything it represents might actually be um, a hindrance to them. Whereas France come into this game as world champions with a lot of success already under their belts. I'm not saying you can ever go into a World Cup final feeling like it's a free hit. I'm not saying that, but I think they will play slightly more freely, slightly more sensibly. I think a lot will depend on how Argentina handle the whole emotion of the occasion. And I think it's not impossible that that emotion might just be too much for them. I mean, if, you know, we, we, we've got to also look at France now and, and sort of salute their record in these tournaments. I mean, you know, they're now four, four finals four World Cup finals from the last seven. I mean, that's an incredible record. There's six uh, finals out of 13 when you include the Euros. You know, if you were born any time kind of in the late 1980s or early 1990s, then France have been the dominant international team of your life. You know, I mean, they are very much used to be in these situations now. There isn't that kind of longing that that goes with with some teams like England and Argentina, you know, they have gone so long without winning. Um, And I just wonder if, when it comes to the big occasion of a final, that might actually help them. Well, it should be a, a, a cracking final and we will see what kind of France and Argentina we get on Sunday. Um, France, back-to-back World Cup finals, quite incredible. Uh, the two sides actually met four years ago, finished 4-3 to France in a game in which Kylian Mbappe truly announced himself on the world stage. He was unbelievable in that game. I wonder if we'll see the same from him once again. Uh, just one question, Gregor, before we go on the officiating, though, because I think everyone wants to see a, a good and solid, strong referee 
in that game. What did you make of tonight, including that incident between Sofiane Buffal, stretch for the ball, didn't quite get it. Teo Hernandez seemed to control it, then le- lost his footing and seemed to wipe out the Moroccan player. And then somehow it was France who, who got the free kick. Should that have been a penalty? Not for me. I get the feeling that you you think other, otherwise. No, 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 not no? at all. Okay. I just thought, I just thought, as we poured over the Croatia moment, and Alison started the podcast okay. by talking about that, it was only measured because I felt the two were similar in terms of both really being le- legitimate attempts for the ball, uh, the contact not being overly deliberate from Teo Hernandez. I don't think it was overly deliberate from the goalkeeper as well. I think he was, was more. Clumsy. It, it was it was more a collision in the end more than anything else. And I think a lot of the people where I was watching it felt like that was a very similar moment. Um, and that's why I felt like I, I had to ask about it for issues of impartiality. <laughs> OK, OK. More broadly, though, the referee, I thought, let the game flow almost to the point where you're thinking you're letting it flow too much here, mate. <laughs> you know, there was, I'm all for that. And, uh, you know, broadly speaking, but there were... There were some occasions where you thought, I'm not sure, I think that's probably a foul. Even even right at the death, I think he kind of, um, Amrabat, you know, this is very minute, the game was over and won, but Amrabat lost the ball and then dived and like plucked it away from, uh, I can't remember who it was, plucked it away from their feet with his hand. And, you know, the ref was about to blow the whistle, but like that's, it's, there's never been a more blatant booking <laughs> that I've ever seen. And he could have just yeah, yeah, brought him over yeah. and had a little chat with him and said, you know, Amrabat fell to the floor and he blew the final whistle. So, you know, actually I quite liked it. I quite liked it, but it was, you cannot say that it's been consistent in that. That might have been the, the intention of FIFA and that may have been what the directives were, but not every referee has adhered to that kind of, that directive basically to, to let the game flow all the time. Or if they have, it's not always been consistently. So you know, I, I think I think he refereed, refereed the game pretty well tonight, and you know, I'd, I'd prefer to see that in a final than a than a kind of you know picky stop-start yeah. game killer. Yeah, all day. yeah, I hope it so. Be, it, it very much can be that. We'll all be excited for the World Cup final. Uh, Morocco, of course, um, will be taking on Croatia in the third and fourth place uh, playoff, if you like, at the weekend. See, so comes third at the World Cup, but we got to get goals at the weekend. Messi has scored five. So has Mbappe. Giroud has scored four. So has Alvarez. Please be another 4-3. Let us have a fantastic end to this World Cup in Qatar. It was a great second semi-final. Hopefully that sets the tone for what we get at the weekend. Tom Allnett, Gregor Robertson, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all for listening. We'll have a big preview show to come for you before the weekend. So make sure you hit the notification button for that. Check out all the great journalism on the Times app, including Alison Rudd's review, if you like, report. Watching that game alongside the Atlas Lions fans in London, in Edgware Road. I'm sure it was a fantastic atmosphere. That is on the Times app right now and in your newspapers. So pick one up if you can. And we will see you very, very soon. Thank you.